0: Good morning, go ahead and grab your Bibles and turn to Ephesians chapter four, Ephesians four. I'd like for you to start, just think about this, that the 2,000 years ago, a few men watch as Jesus ascended into heaven, a few dozen men, and he looked at them and, and he gave them parting words, Make disciples of all nations. A few Jewish men 2,000 years ago. And they heard that call and they went out and they ignited a movement that changed the world. So think about it. You sit in this room 2,000 years later because of what those few disciples did in response to Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. And when I think about that, here's what I ask myself. How can I be a part of a world-changing church? Right? When I look at those few dozen men and see how they sparked a movement that ignited the world, set it on fire so that we could sit in a room 2,000 years later, I want to know, how do I become a part of that kind of church? Because I want that. I want that for Morrison Heights. I want that for our college ministry. How can I want to be a part of a church that changes Clinton and the ends of the earth? And I hope you want that too. Last week, Dr. Greg covered the, the first half of Ephesians chapter 4. But we're going to need to quickly recap it to set the stage of, of where we're going to focus this morning. We're going to look at, at this, this passage and answer this question How can I be a part of a world changing church? So let's dive right in. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. We're just going to read the first verse and kind of pause for a second. Paul writes, I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Walk in a manner worthy, to walk worthy. As Dr. Gregg discussed last week, this is the verse in the book of Ephesians where Paul shifts gears. Up to this point, all of Ephesians has been big picture. It's been all about God's cosmic plan. Ephesians 1, 4 through 6. If you want to flip back, it tells us that God chose us, the church, in him, in Jesus, before the foundation of the world. That we should be holy and blameless before him. In love. He predestined us for adoption, right, to join his family to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. So God's plan, even before creation, was to call out a family. And he set in motion a plan to rescue that family, to call them out through his son Jesus coming down to earth. What that passage tells us is God did all that because of his love, his love for us. Move forward a little bit more. Ephesians 2 verse 1. Paul says, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. So church, God has called you out of spiritual death and into spiritual life. It's part of God's cosmic plan. From the beginning, the, the macro level, the micro level, the, the plan for the world, for the universe, and for my life as an individual. The Ephesians 1 through 3 is about God's cosmic plan. But when you go from death to life, that's a significant change. And it should fundamentally offer, uh, alter the way you live. As Dr. Greg spoke last week, it's the, the indicative that leads to an imperative. Your, your calling, your identity has changed. And so your, your outward bearing of that should also begin to change. And so that's what Paul's saying now. Because of what God has done cosmically and in you personally, walk worthy. But when Paul says walk worthy, the first thing he goes to is living rightly in the church. Living rightly in the church. And so here's, here's a big truth. If you're taking notes, write this down. It's this, living rightly in the church is essential to every Christian. Living rightly in the church is essential to every Christian. This passage, Ephesians 4, is about the church. Life in the church is built into the DNA of every single Christian. It's who you are. So here's how Paul describes it. Verse 2, Ephesians chapter 4. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. This is life in the church right? It's living together in a unity around shared beliefs about God. And this is the first thing Paul writes about when it comes to walking worthy as a follower of Jesus. So y'all, church is not an optional activity for the follower of Jesus. We must live rightly in the church. But how do we do that? What does that look like? How do we become a part of a world-changing church? Verse 7, Paul continues, But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. So get what Paul just said. He went from saying there's one God, one hope, one faith, one baptism, but grace has been given to every single one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, When Jesus ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. Verse 9, in saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth. He who descended is the one who has also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. Now, to be honest, those last couple of verses are some that have always really confused me. So what's he saying? I think it's simply this. Jesus conquered. Then he gave gifts to his people. Jesus conquered, then he gave gifts to his people. This quote, when he ascended on high, is taken from Psalm 68. Psalm 68, which is all about God conquering his enemies. Now, when a king conquers here on earth, he takes from his enemies and he shares the loot with his people. Whatever he takes from those he conquers, he shares it. And Psalm 68 is all about how God had conquered the enemies of his people and his people praised him and that he gave his, his people gifts, right? The land, the temple, peace, rest. And what Paul is telling us is that what God did for Israel back then, Jesus has done for us today. Jesus conquered sin and death when he died on a cross, but the tomb couldn't hold him. He won. He was a victor, a conquering king. And now he gives his people, the church, gifts out of that victory. And then Paul continues. We find out exactly what that gifting looks like for us, the church. Verse 11, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. So he gave these gifts for a purpose to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children. so that it builds itself up in love. And so the gift that Jesus gives to his church is five types of leaders, five giftings, equippings for the good of the church. And the purpose is so that we as the church can grow into maturity together. And as this happens, we will become a world-changing church. Which brings me back to our original question, how? How can I be a part of a world-changing church? And I want to give you two answers this morning. And the first is this, live a Christ-transformed life in community with others. So if you're taking notes, write that down. How can I be a part of a world-changing church? Number one, live a Christ-transformed life in community with others. That's our first action, living a Christ-transformed life in community with others. So to look back at verses two and three of Ephesians four, he says, I urge you to walk worthy with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace, right? And I look at those traits, humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain unity. And I think how much better would church be if everyone lived according to these virtues? And what we see is if we want to be a part of a world-changing church, where we have to begin is in our own hearts. It's in our own hearts. Right, so to become a world-changing church it's, it's not a decision that we necessarily make collectively as a church. It's a decision that I, as an individual, must make. And you, as an individual, must make. Maybe you've done this before. Have you ever walked into a church? Maybe you were visiting out of town and walked in and and left and thought, man, that church wasn't very welcoming. And the reality is it, it wasn't that the church wasn't welcoming. It's that each individual in that church failed to be welcoming. It was a decision that each individual made that collectively felt unwelcoming as a church. So the reality is if you want to be a part of a world-changing church, then you must start with your heart. You must start with your heart. You must personally seek to be humble, gentle, patient with others. Let me sum it up to you this way. Will you take a 1 Peter 4.8 mindset? A 1 Peter 4.8 mindset. 1 Peter 4, eight says this. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Keep loving because love covers a multitude of sins. So the question I ask myself is is this. When someone wrongs me, will I cover it up with love? When someone wrongs you, will you cover it up with love? You know, what? I look back at Ephesians 4.2 and it says humility, gentleness, patience, and I hear those, and, and the reality is you don't really need humility, gentleness, and patience unless someone's not quite acting as they should. You don't need patience unless someone's being frustrating, right? And in a moment, we're going to talk about gifts, but before we do, We need to remind ourselves of 1 Corinthians 13, where Paul writes this in verse 1. He says, if I, the Apostle Paul, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am. I am nothing. If you don't love others through their shortcomings, then your spiritual gift does not matter. Paul tells us in this passage in 1 Corinthians 13 that love is first. Love is the essential ingredient that all believers must have if we will experience unity and maturity in the body of Christ and become a world-changing church. Without it, we won't be the type of church. We must start by living a Christ-transformed life of love. That's the first way we must, the first action we must take to become a world-changing church. The second is this, second action for you to take. Find your gift and use it. Find your gift and use it. So remember, this passage teaches us that Jesus came to earth, conquered sin and death, then ascended into heaven. And as a part of that, he has now distributed gifts to his people, the church. And specifically in this passage, God gives five, gives gifts to, to five different gifts to people. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. In, our, in the college ministry, we've, we've taken to calling these gifts the APEST gifts, right? A-P-E-S-T, Apostle, Prophet, Evangelist, Shepherd, Teachers, APEST. Now, these gifts are huge. God's Word is telling us that they are necessary. They are essential for the entire church to grow in terms of size and maturity to ultimately become more like Jesus, But before we look at these gifts and go, I want to, I want to drill down deep and really understand what these gifts are. But before we do that, there's three things I need to state clearly to help give us context a framework. And the first is this, God's gift is people, not titles. God's gift is people, not titles. Right? Look, look at it. Verse 11. In this passage, God's gift is evangelist, not the office of evangelist. Not the title of evangelist. God has gifted the church with people who evangelize. And if no one acts, evangelism won't happen. We need people with these gifts exercising these gifts. The second thing I need to state is this the people in this passage, these people are not just paid ministers. These people are not just paid ministers. I think as church people, sometimes we're guilty at looking at a list like this and saying, oh, these are the different types of vocational ministry you can have. Well, when Paul wrote this, there there weren't a lot of churches hiring ministers. When he's talking about these gifts, he's talking about people who are soldiers, tax collectors, fishermen, people to whom God has given these gifts He's given these gifts to the church for the purpose of building it up. And here's why I tell you this. It's the third thing I need to state. It's that you almost certainly have at least one strength on this list. You almost certainly have at least one strength on this list. I think that each person is wired by God towards one or two of these five roles, which means that you have a unique part to play in the expansion and maturity of God's kingdom, the church. You have a unique role, a unique gift that's been given to you by God. So now I want to drill down deep to this question. Who are the types of people God has given for the church's growth? Because in my life, I have found the most clarity in how I'm wired to serve by looking into this passage, by looking into Ephesians 4. And specifically, I look at this passage, and then I look at Jesus. I look to see how he acted out perfectly each of these five gifts. Now, I don't have each of these five gifts. As this passage tells us, God gave some measure of grace to each one of us so that each of us would need the other, and we could be fulfilled. We could be unified. But Jesus was perfect. And he perfectly exemplified every single one of these gifts. And in our church, and especially in our groups, in our life groups, we can look to Jesus to see how we are to live out the gifts that he has given to us. He is our model. He is our rabbi. He is our teacher. So let's start with the first gift, the A, the apostles. right? And don't get confused. We're not talking about capital A apostles like like the 12 or the apostle Paul. We're talking lowercase. A hey, apostles here. Apostles are the pioneers of the kingdom. The pioneers of the kingdom. They are sent to places where the kingdom is not. They are sent by the church to places where the kingdom is not. The Greek word apostle literally translates to mean sent one. One who is sent. So just think about in terms of Jesus what it means to be an apostle. That God saw a sinful world in need of a savior. And so he sent Jesus for a purpose from heaven to earth. Think about the apostle Paul who wrote the book of Ephesians. I love the way Paul describes his calling as an apostle in Romans fifteen twenty. He says this, he says, I make it my ambition to preach the gospel Not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. In other words, he's saying, my calling is to be sent by the church where Jesus is not already. I want to go to lostness, go to the people who have never heard, and begin a new work. That's who an apostle is. Someone who sees a need, a pocket of lostness where the kingdom of God is not, and is sent by the church to take the kingdom there. That's what apostles do. Now, as believers, we are all sent. John 20, 21, Jesus looks at his disciples and he says, Peace be with you as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. So he looks at all his believers, all followers of him, and he says, I'm sending you all over the world to lostness. But some of you have an extra measure of grace towards this gift. Right? If you've got an entrepreneurial drive you like starting things where no one else is working, then there's a good chance that you have the gift of apostle, the gifting of the apostle. And one of the easiest ways to test this out is to simply start a life group, to serve an area of our church that's unrepresented or to engage an area of lostness. About a year ago, we had a few college students who looked at the college campus and they said, A lot of our athletes on campus are disconnected from church and Jesus. And there's not a lot of work happening there. And so those students were sent by thriving small groups in our ministry. And they began trying to reach athletes on campus. And the funny thing is, not a single one of those students are athletes. The guys were really more of the computer game type than the athlete type. But they committed themselves to doing whatever it takes to begin building relationships with athletes on campus. And the end result is that they have made friends and built a community amongst some of our athletes that centered on Christ. And that's what an apostle is about, being sent to those places where the kingdom of God is not. The second gifting in this passage is prophets. Prophets, those who call the prophets are those who call the church to loyalty and faithfulness to God above all. Let me say that again. They're those who call the church to loyalty and faithfulness to God above all. Now, I'm throwing this word prophecy, and it can be a little bit of a a messy one, so let's not get confused by it, okay? Prophecy in the Old Testament is sometimes about telling the future. We know that. Sometimes about telling the future, but it's Always about guarding the people in their covenant with God. Y'all hear that? Even when a prophet tells the future, it's for the purpose of helping to guard God's people in their covenant with him. Today, I think when we talk about prophecy, we should avoid trying to tell the future. I don't want to be a prophet who tries to tell the future, and I can tell you why. Deuteronomy 18 says that if you're a prophet who tries to tell the future and you get it wrong, best case scenario is no one listens to you ever again. Worst case scenario is you get stoned. That's not a chance I'm personally willing to take. So although I think the part about telling the future is past, the part about prophets calling God's people to continued faithfulness and relationship with him that's still very much needed. Think about how Jesus did this. Matthew five forty eight. Jesus said, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. In other words, Jesus says God's law is important. It shows us who he is and how to live in right relationship with him. He's acting as a prophet in this moment. He's reminding us that sin breaks our relationship with God, and then he calls us to repent and be restored in that relationship with him. It's Jesus as a prophet. I can think of one of my students, a guy named Joel Purvis. You may know Joel, he's the son of Jeff and Melesta Purvis uh, here at the church. Joel was a leader in our ministry for several years and Uh, in our leadership team, we would be making all these plans on how we were going to go to campus and meet students and share the gospel with them, planning, planning, planning. And finally, Joel would just hold up his hand and he would say, hey, I I think we need to stop. And I think we just need to pray because we're making all these plans. But unless we're in relationship with God, we're not going to have what we need to do the things he's calling us to do. And unless he's in it, It's not going to matter what we plan. Now, that's a man who's doing the work of a prophet, calling us to be restored in our relationship with God and seek him in his presence. Gifting of the prophet. Third, evangelists. Evangelists are those who proclaim the good news of the kingdom. They are those who proclaim the good news of the kingdom. People with the gift of evangelism, these are the people who just naturally share the gospel, in conversation with others. They get the core message of the kingdom in the core of who they are. And they just naturally bring others along with them into church. If you have someone who invited you here this morning, chances are that person's just got the gift of evangelism, right? When they are somewhere doing something, other people just want to join in. One of my favorite stories of Jesus as the evangelist is in John 4. Jesus sits down with a woman at a well. And in this seemingly random conversation, he explains to her that he is the one who can satisfy her spiritual longing. And by the end of that conversation, she runs to her town and begins telling others about the Messiah. Jesus, the evangelist, produced a new evangelism evangelist. And that's what evangelism is all about. Now, Once again, as with all of these gifts, all of us are called to evangelize. Every single one of us is called to be a witness to our risen Lord. But some people have just been given the gift. They've just been given the gift. And when I think about this, I always think of my my wife's sister, my sister-in-law. She's the kind of person who can be checking out groceries, meet the cashier, And by the time she's got all her groceries, the cashier follows Jesus. She's just got the gift. I don't know what it is about her, but she can just bring people to the Lord. She doesn't even try. It's just naturally who she is. So we all evangelize. We all proclaim the good news, but there's some who have the gift, and you must exercise that gift. We need you. We need you. Fourth, shepherds. Shepherds are those who maintain and develop healthy community and relationships they maintain and develop healthy community and relationships y'all people people are like sheep especially church people right that's kind of how we are we wander around sometimes sometimes we get stuck sometimes we get lost we've all been there and shepherds are all about caring for and protecting the flock jesus was the good shepherd. He compares himself to a shepherd who would leave the 99 to go after the one who was lost. And God has given shepherds to the church. These are people who are all about helping people grow, helping them become more like Jesus, stopping and ministering to them when they are breaking down. Shepherds don't want anyone to get left behind. We need shepherds. Finally, teachers. Teachers are those who help the church gain and understand biblical wisdom. They help the church gain and understand biblical wisdom. These are people who like taking complex truths about God and making them understandable and applicable to the church. These are the people who can take the, the big ideas about God and the Bible and show you how they matter in your everyday lives. Just think about your least favorite subject in school when you were growing up. Chances are you don't like that subject because while your teacher may have taught you the facts, they never showed you why they mattered. But God gives teachers to the church so everyone can understand deep truth and how to live it out. Jesus was the ultimate teacher. He had this way of explaining the deep things of God that made sense to the people who heard it. He was adept at using word pictures and telling stories so that every single listener got a clear (laughs) picture of what he was talking about. So these are the basic definitions of the gifts, apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, teacher. Now, here's what I want to show you. When all five of these gifts are working as they should in a group, in a small group, or in, in the church party at large, something amazing happens. Get this, apostles go, and they claim new ground for the kingdom. Evangelists go with them, and they're sharing the good news, and they're drawing people into the church. Teachers are making sure these new believers and everyone understand scripture. Prophets are reminding God's people of their need for him and to be, crave his presence daily. And shepherds are coming alongside of people and loving those who are hurting and who are struggling and who are falling behind. And when I think about that, y'all, that sounds like a church that can change the world. It's living as God has created it to live. And that brings us to the whole point of this passage, which is God has built this into the DNA of us, his church, for unity and maturity. Ephesians 4.11, let's just reread these verses so we can see what happens, right? He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, no longer tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human coming, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow up so that it builds itself up in love. Unity and maturity. When you, you learn to use your gifts, everyone wins. And I think three things happen, right? Number one is you operate in your God-given strengths. You operate in your God-given strengths. Uh, this is kind of a, a silly example, but... Uh, If you catch me texting, I do something kind of weird, like most people text with their thumbs kind of like this, right? I use my thumb and index finger. My college students see me do that, and they make fun of me. But the reason is this. Thumbs are not built for dexterity. They're built to help you hold things. But your index finger, that's made for doing uh, kind of uh, detailed tasks, Right? It's, it's made, made for pointing and it's made for doing things like, like when you type, you type with your fingers. So I like to use the finger that's designed for the task at hand, even if everybody makes fun of me about it. I don't care. I don't have a problem with it. But it's like this for us in the body of Christ. When we live in our gift, it feels right. Because God has made us, gifted us with his spirit inside of us to live that way. And so when we get this, when we find our gifts and use them in love, we operate in our God-given strength. Second way we win is this. You recognize your need for others. You recognize your need for others. Now, I'll be honest. I don't think I'm gifted as a shepherd. I'm able to shepherd, but my gifting is more on the teaching side. My default, when someone is struggling, my default is like, oh, you, you just need... A healthy dose of the truth. But what I found is that when someone's struggling, an insensitive dose of the truth is not what they need. They need love and support and someone to come alongside of them. And as a result, I love having shepherds on my team. These are the people who can look at me and they'll stand up and they'll point out to me the places in our ministry where people are struggling. They're the ones who will show me what it looks like to run towards those who are hurt. The fact that I have a gift and that you have a different gift means we need each other. Which brings us to the final thing that happens as we do this. Our church sees unity and maturity. So here's where I want to land, just real practical. How do you find your gift? How do you find your gift? maybe you're wondering, you're not sure, first thing I would say a great place to start is to simply take a spiritual gifts test. These are not the Word of God. These are not perfect, but they give you a great place to start. And the second thing I would say to follow up is this, try acting like each of these five-fold gifts. So just think about it in terms of our life groups here at Morrison Heights. If you think you might be wired as an apostle you love in in business, starting new businesses, that entrepreneurial drive, just try starting a life group. Or if you think you may be wired as a prophet, join a life group and help disciple the members of that group. If you think you might be an evangelist, ask to be the person who invites and contacts people for your group and draws them in. If you think you might be a shepherd, ask if you can lead by checking in weekly on your group's prayer requests. If you think you're a teacher, ask if you can prepare and lead the discussion. And what will happen is you practice the gifts. You'll quickly see how the Lord's gifted you and how he hasn't. Now, sometimes you may be called to work or lead outside of your gifting, and God's going to give you the grace you need to do that if he calls you to do that. But the reality is we all need a place where we can use our gifts. So the possibilities are endless. Find a community and start learning. The final thing I'll say on how do you find your gift is to let someone else speak into you. Let someone else speak into your life. Let someone else watch you and begin to name the things they see in you. Here's where, especially to this group, I I wanna give uh, maybe an encouragement. For those of you who are older adults, you know, the Young people in our church need you to watch them and name the gifts that Jesus has given them so that they can grow up to use their gifts and be lifelong faithful church members. You know how to recognize gifts in others because you've been there, you've seen it. So I want to challenge you to get alongside some younger believers and begin to name gifts in them. So let's do it. Let's get out there and be a part of growing the body of, our, of Christ. As we live, Christ transforms lives, and we find our gifts and use them. God's word is clear. You've received a gift for a reason, to help grow the body of Christ and grow it to fullness in Christ. This means that if we want to experience his fullness, if we want to be a part of a world-changing church, it starts here, in this room, with each one of us. Will you pursue the gifts that God has given his church? Will you figure out your place? Because if you will start the journey, I promise that God will use you in big ways. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that we serve a risen king who has conquered sin and death. And now he reigns in heaven with you. And Lord, I thank you that you have not left us as his followers to do this in our own strength, but that, Lord, you gave gifts to us, and that, Lord, as individuals, as we use our gifts, we see unity, and we see growth in ourselves and in your kingdom. Lord, I pray that you would help us to live into this truth, and you would make us a world-changing church. Lord, I pray all these things in the name of your son, Jesus.